Well, you've joined us for the second week of a message series we're, we're calling uh, Hearing God. And the premise is this. The premise is, is that this year, in 2019, we believe that God has a dramatic, important, significant plan for your life. And if you'll tap into it, if you'll hear him, he'll reveal it to you. He'll reveal it to you in big and grand ways. They'll be revelations in small ways. He'll speak to you in a variety of ways. And today, I'm going to help you understand how to know if God is speaking to you. So you received some message notes when you came in the door. You can go ahead and grab those out. The passages we'll be referring to are there. This is one of those messages that for some of you, you've heard pieces of this before, perhaps. For some of you, this will be a little bit new. But for all of us, it's a really good refresher to say, how do I know if the hunch I have, how do I know if the thought I have, how do I know if the idea I have is from God or not? I mean, if following God, if letting the Lord direct my steps is part of how I'm supposed to live the life that I have, how do I know if this hunch, this feeling, this idea that I have is from the Lord, so I should follow it, or it's not from God, so it should be ignored and shelved? How do I know? And believe it or not, it's not simply up to guesswork. The, the, the Word of God, the Bible, reveals to us a handful of things. We're going to look at five. There's probably a few more, but we're going to look at five ways to know, five tests, if you will, to determine if a hunch, a feeling, a prompting, a thought, a dream, a goal is something that's from the Lord or it's not from God. And you need to be aware that you're going to, from time to time, have hunches that are from the Lord. People are going to speak things to you, and they're going to be the voice of God to you. And the Word of God is going to come alive to you, and a passage is going to speak to you in a way that maybe you would never have expected to. And it's going to be from the Lord, but you should also be aware that while God has an agenda for your life that's nothing but good and honorable and right and will produce glory for God and good in your life, while God has a plan for your life, there are other plans. Sometimes it's other people have plans for your life, and believe it or not, there are sometimes even people who will claim the voice of God to get you to follow their agenda for their life. I went to a Christian college, and uh, that was wonderful, except we were very good at claiming the voice of God in our little Christian college to get people to do what we wanted to do. I had a few buddies who were pretty sure that God told them that that girl right over there was supposed to date them. And so they went over and said, the Lord has told me. It's an amazing pickup line that you should date me. Yeah, it happened. A lot more of my friends used the classic line, we need to break up. Well, why do we need to break up? Well, it's me, not you. And when that didn't work, of course, it was the Lord has told me to. Right? And so even the name of God, sometimes some good but misguided people can be used to set direction and give, uh, give us a sense of a purpose into a perp person's life. But for the person himself, for me and you, we need to figure out how we know the voice of God. And I'm convinced of this. If you know the voice of God and if you follow the voice of God, if you'll be receptive like we talked about last week, if your heart will be soft to the things of God, then not only this year, but the rest of your life will go better for you. And that's what we want. That's what we want as a church. We want this year to be a year marked by your spiritual growth. We want this year to be marked by the clear reality that you are walking God's path for you, that he is taking you on a journey and you're glad to follow him, that the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures are true in your life, that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord, that if we'll commit our way to him and all of our ways to him, then he will establish our path. We want that to happen to you. But I'm reminded that this is not always the most intuitive thing in the world. So we're going to identify five questions that you can use. And I, I think that if you come to a, a junction, if you come to a decision moment, if you're trying to vet a plan or an idea, and you walk through all five of these questions, by the time you get to the end, you'll have a certain amount of clarity that maybe you would not have had. You'll have a confidence of whether or not it's God prompting you and speaking to you, or it's just a hunch that you have. So in your Bible, 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, this is a letter from the Apostle John to the churches over which he had responsibility, primarily around Asia Minor. He writes these words. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, 
But test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So even in New Testament times, there were people who would claim the voice of God, people who would leverage soft hearts before God to produce ungodly behavior from them. And so John encourages his readers, like even in a spiritual context, even in a religious family, even in a church, here's what you have to do if you want to follow God right. You have to have a certain amount of discernment. You have to test the spirits to see what's going on. Is this really from the Lord? And if that was true in the New Testament time, it's even more true today. It's important for us to have a discerning spirit. How do you work through that stuff? So let's just start into this right away. Some of this will be reviews for some of you. Some of this will be new. If I were trying to, as a parent, give the top 10 things I wanted my kids to know, one of the things that would easily make the list is, how could I help them discern and know the voice of God? And as your pastor, I want you to know how to discern and hear the voice of God. Because I'm confident that most people I know, if they were sure that it was the Lord speaking, would be more eager and have a little bit more boldness to follow him. And sometimes we never even really get started on the path because we're not confident. So number one on your message notes. Here's test number one to see if a hunch, an idea, a prompting, a word that somebody gives you, an idea that you have in the middle of the night, if it's from the Lord. Number one, does it agree with the Bible? Does it agree with the Bible? Now, this is a big deal. God has given us this book, this gift called the Bible. And in the Bible, God's character is on display. There are stories we can read where people faced incredibly similar life situations to us, even though the situation, the date, the time, the setting was very different. The emotions, the relational dynamics, the challenges in front of them are incredibly modern. And God gave us this Bible both to reveal his character to us, to show us the way people of faith both got it right and got it wrong. But in many ways, it gives us the guiding principles, the guardrails, if you will, for how to stay on the path that God has for us. Uh, one of the reasons why I try every year, several times a year, to get you to regularly read your Bible, I know that a certain amount of familiarity with the Word of God will get you on the quick path to knowing and discerning God's voice. Uh, you get this filter built in when you're familiar with the truth of God, His character, and what He says, and how He directs His followers. You get this built-in filter so that when things bombard you in life, when ideas come into your head, when opportunities are in front of you, sometimes without a lot of emotion, without a lot of having to think about it, you know what the Word of God says about that area of life, and so your decision-making now is shortened. Your speed in life and following picks up because you have this built-in filter. So in Luke chapter 21, these are the words of Jesus talking about the power of the word of God in the life of a believer. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The word of God, until Jesus comes back, the Bible, the word of God is going to be the primary tool that God has given us to understand his character, his voice, and to discern the path that he wants us to walk. That's why we've got to get in it and stay in it. And that's why when you come here, we devote a significant portion of time to understanding and being open and receptive to the Word of God. That's why in our kids' ministry, we're going to teach them the stories of the Bible when they can only think in concrete terms. We're going to teach them about real stories from the Bible. And as they can begin to think in terms of abstract stuff in middle school and high school, we're going to teach them about some of the principles and some of the more complex issues that are arisen in the Bible. But the whole point of doing the Bible is so that they can grow to know and to understand and be familiar with the voice and the thinking and the mind of God. Because if you follow him, your path, the Bible says, will be made straight. And that's just a, a metaphor. It's a, it's a word picture that tells us what it's going to be like to follow God with our life. One of the images he gives us is that he'll take all the crooked places and he'll straighten them up and he'll take the constant up and downs of life and he'll level the field and so the path before us gets more clear because God's taking you on a journey and this year can be a part of it. So the word of God is important. Last week we talked about the power of the word of God and I talked about that 15 minute 
appointment I have with the Lord every day called chair time. Chair time where we have an appointment, not just a hope, not just if I get to it, not out of my leftover time, but 15 minutes every day at the same time in the same place, I'm going to open the word of God and I'm going to engage him so that his voice is familiar to me. This is a big deal to Jesus, by the way. One day when Jesus was talking to his disciples in the Gospel of John, he said this. He said, my sheep know my voice. They hear me. They listen. And another voice, they won't listen to it. Parents, can I tell you the easiest way to make sure that your kids know and understand the voice of God? It's not. It's not as my come natural to you to think that I've got to show them all the voices that are not the voice of God. I've got to point out all the other voices that might want to speak into their life and show them how they're not valid, they're counterfeit. Uh, you'll never be able to have a list complete enough of all the counterfeit voices. Do what bankers do when they're trying to help the tellers who handle cash understand the difference between counterfeit and real bills. You know what they do? They don't show them all the counterfeits. They may see a few. But they know that they can't keep up with counterfeiters. So what they do is they get them very familiar with the real bills. They handle them. They can feel them. They can feel the texture. They can rub their finger over. And a really good teller can almost tell just by the initial feeling of a bill in her or his hand if that bill that comes in is counterfeit. So a familiarity with the authentic is the number one way to deal with the counterfeit. So regularly engaging the Word of God just picks up speed in your life. It brings clarity to your life. Let me give you a couple statements about this. You may want to write this down in your message notes. The will of God in your life will never violate the Word of God. The will of God in your life will never violate the Word of God. You're never going to get an impression from God. It's never going to be valid if somebody comes to you and tells you they have a word from God if the impression or the word is in violation with the principles of God's Word. The will of God will never violate the Word of God. So if you're a married person in the room, the will of God for you is never going to give you permission to sleep with someone you're not married with. That's a direct violation of the Word of God. It's never going to happen. God's never by His Spirit going to give you an impression that it's okay to step over His rules for sexual integrity. It's never going to happen. Now, people think they get that permission all the time. They think their situation is different. But the will of God is never going to violate the Word of God. This is really important because the Word of God deals with some very specific things about life. It deals with your integrity. And the, the will of God is never going to speak to a business person and say, hey, you can make a little bit more money if you do what everybody else is doing and be just a little bit shady here. The will of God's never going to give a person permission to do that. The Spirit of God is never going to speak. That's going to be a counterfeit voice. And familiarity, familiarity with the Word of God that says your character and your integrity, and it's the upright and righteous person, the one who walks by God's rules and statutes that God will elevate, that will help you filter out those hunches that come from outside of you and even the ones that come from your own heart sometimes. Your heart longs for something. It's not from God, but the Word of God can speak and even inform your own heart. It's one of the reasons why, honestly, my wife and I love this church, is there have been for now 15 years adults who have spoken into the lives of our children about the character of God, the principles contained in the Word of God, and it helps our kids navigate life. And, and it does it in a couple of ways. Sometimes it prevents them from getting out of the bounds. That happens sometimes, and we're glad for that. Other times what it does is when our kids get out of the bounds, and they do sometimes, when they get out of the bounds, they know the Word of God so that the pathway back onto the path that He has for them is quicker, less painful. They don't end up stuck in a ditch because that's what the Word of God does. It is, here's what David said. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It illuminates, it inspires, it encourages, it informs. So the will of God will never take you outside the Word of God. So a robust understanding of the Word of God is one of the primary ways to know if a hunch, a feeling, a desire, a decision you have to make is from the Lord or not. 
It's incredibly terrifying. I'm going to make up a number here. Kind of as, as a pastor, I get a right to do this in a little bit. But I'm going to say about 60 to 70% of the hunches and the feelings and the, the things you have to think through that maybe you're contemplating can be resolved with just clarity of understanding of the character of God revealed in the Word of God. Pretty potent. It's amazing, for instance, how the Word of God speaks to church life. It tells us, for instance, what to do in terms of conflict. If you have a conflict between people, it's going to happen in your church, in your family, in your friends, in your work. The Word of God says, here's how you handle that. And so when we handle it that way, guess what happens? It doesn't make the conflict less frequent often. It doesn't make the conflict go away. But what it does is it brings a real possibility of reconciliation and health where there's conflict. When marriages do it the way the Bible talks about doing it. So when you're angry, for instance, the Bible says, when you're angry, don't sin. That's just a simple verse from the Bible. In your anger, do not sin. So a couple things we can deduce from the word of God. I'm in a situation. What do I do? I'm very upset. Maybe God doesn't want me to be upset. Maybe he doesn't want me to be angry. Okay? So look at this verse. When you're angry, do not sin. So the first thing we learn from the, how the Word of God can inform the situation is, is there's some anger, some frustration that's valid. The Bible doesn't say don't get angry. It says when you're angry, watch how you act. That's helpful when you're trying to figure out what to do when you're frustrated, when somebody's disappointed, when they've crossed a line. I'm allowed to have feelings, emotions. Sometimes they're righteous, even if they aren't pleasant. But then the word of God says, so when you're there, don't sin in that. And so we go to other verses now. So what would it look like? Well, when you talk about these things, watch your words. Because as you talk about it, the book of James will tell us, your mouth will be like a rudder steering your whole life. It's one of the smallest members of your body, but it will control in many ways the path of your life. So when you're angry, do not sin. Watch how you communicate, especially in heated moments. And that begins to inform now these hunches and these desires. I want to just slap her, but I'm not going to. Because I'm not going to sin in my anger. I want to just mouth off, but I'm not going to. Because I don't want to sin in my anger. Instead, I'm going to let my words be words that are true, spoken in love. That's another verse that deals with communication. They're going to be true. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to speak with truth and love. And so the Word of God begins to inform what can be very confusing and emotionally draining situations. It's the most powerful tool. It's the most objective tool that we have as followers of Jesus. Number two. Here's a second test, second question to ask. Does this hunch, does this feeling, does this opportunity does it make me more like Christ? Does it make me more like Christ? Let me tell you what God's doing in your spiritual life, what he wants to do this year. A lot of ways we can say it. I've said it a handful of ways already. He wants to put you on a path. He wants to guide and lead. One of the ways the Bible describes that most clearly is, is what God's going to do in your life this year as a follower of Jesus is he's going to make you more like Jesus. He's going to give you opportunity. He's going to put you in situation. He's going to take advantage of situations you find yourself in. And God's agenda in that situation is to make in your life a more perfect image of Jesus. So, understanding what Jesus was like becomes a really good filter to vet out opportunities that come your way. If I engage this thing is it going to produce in me more of the character of Christ? Is it going to call out in me more of the character of Christ? If not, I want to be very cautious. If so, I want to be more free to engage. So there's a business opportunity. It's hard to deduce. Should we move? Should we stay? One of the filters is, is, what does the Word of God say to that situation? Well, the Word of God probably is not going to tell you whether or not Charlotte or Chicago or Cincinnati is the right place to live, but you might be able to get some insight between the opportunity of 
How is this move, potential move, going to impact my spiritual life and the life of my family? Are we going to be more in line to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ? Can we, can we have a reasonable certainty that if we take advantage of this opportunity, that's going to be present for us? Is it going to become a major barrier to that? And it's still not necessarily black and white. But we begin to get some information to vet these opportunities that come to us. When we chat with our kids about their friends, we're aware of the very true principle. It's true for anybody at any age of life. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. It's true. And so one of the things we had to help our kids understand is that there are people you're allowed to be friendly with. They're friends. You're friendly. But they aren't necessarily in your inner circle. So you're friendly, you're kind, you spend time, you relate with them, you socialize with them, but they're not trusted at the same level as the inner circle. Because in the inner circle, these are the people who call out in you the God stuff. These are the people who speak life into you, who share your values. These are the people you have to engage in life. You can even love them. They just can't have an open door to speak into your values and your behavior because if you let them... They're not likely to help you be shaped into the image of Christ. So we had to help our kids evaluate, not the value of people. No, 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 no. That's simplistic. This is not simplistic. Not the value of people, because the Lord gets to do that. But the, the value of letting this person's influence into my life unfiltered. One of the primary tools we have is to say, if I let this person's influence in my life unfiltered, is that likely going to produce in me more of the image of Christ? Or is it likely to pull me away? If I take advantage, should I buy this car? The Bible doesn't say anything about cars. I mean, there's no, as far as I can tell, there's no hint at all about automobiles. Should I buy this car? I don't know. All right, so let's go a step. The word of God doesn't speak to it. So test number one, test number two, the image of Christ. So, so maybe I begin a little bit of information when I think, start thinking, well, why do I want to buy this car? There's some pragmatic reasons. Beyond that, there's just some wants and desires that I have. Those are all fine as long as they're fine. So now I begin to ask, how is this going to impact my budget? How is this going to impact my lifestyle that God has called me to live? So while it may not be wrong... Any decision may have the opportunity to become a green light into your spiritual development or yellow light and perhaps even a red light. So this becomes a powerful tool. How will this thing make me more like Christ? So in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says this, in your lives you must think and act like Christ. Let me give you a statement here. God is more interested in your character development than bringing you comfort. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. And that's challenging. This year, you're going to have an opportunity to park yourself in comfort and ease and go with the flow or give yourself to the development of your character and participate with God in that. And that's always pushing a little uphill. And so it comes down to it. Do you deep down believe that if you follow God's path for you and you know his voice and you follow it quickly, is that better for you? Is that worse for you in the long run? And one of the tools outside of the word of God is the character. Let me tell you how James, the brother of Jesus, helped us filter this. So this is one of those highlight passages that you may want to write out. So if it's not in your message notes, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I think, I think it is. Verse 14 through 17. So James, the brother of Jesus, is trying to help people discern what does it mean to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ. And he gives us some very black and white tangible words here. Look at what he says. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth of it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He's not, by the way, mincing 
any words. There's a way to do ambition that isn't selfish. It's about following God and doing all that he's called you to do and being driven. And then there's a way to do ambition that is really selfish and all about you. One comes from God and hunches to follow that path are from the Lord. We should follow them. And then we'll all have hunches to follow the other path. And James makes it very clear. These are demonic. They're designed for your destruction, but they don't come packed with a warning label. In fact, they speak sometimes to our hearts that are broken and not fully formed. Verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So you have an opportunity for advancement. Okay, good. All right, so let's, what does the word of God speak to that? Well, the Bible tells us that God raises up people, even people, at, you know, not outside of church, not, in, not even in church. God raises up leaders and authority. He puts authority in place. All authority flows from God. So opportunities for advancement might be from the Lord. So the word of God allows for that. The nature and the character of Christ being molded in you. Now we begin to have an opportunity to think deeper about that. Where's that coming from? What is it in you that wants that? What do you want to do with it when you get there? These are very complex issues, and the Bible warns us here to be careful as we think about matters of the heart because it is out of the heart that life flows. The, the heart is the wellspring of life. So that's why I love James's words here. In verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, it's impartial and sincere. Should I buy that new car? Would the Lord be pleased if I bought that new car? Maybe. But if there's a part of you that wants to buy the new car, have the new thing, have the new computer, wear the best clothes, because what you really want is for people to look at you, so the Bible says that motivation in us is not following the kinds of things that God is about. And so that kind of stuff ultimately in, in your life is going to produce for you the kinds of things that demonic influences produce in your life. So something as simple as buying a car can be thought through a spiritual lens and you can, God can use it as an opportunity to do surgery on your heart to reveal what's really in there. Because it's the matters of the heart that the Lord's very much interested in. So sometimes what your heart says and what's going on in your heart is irrelevant because the word of God's crystal clear. But other times what's going on in your heart really is the deciding factor of what's going on. So how do you know which college to go to? How do you know which person to date? How do you know if you're dating somebody whether or not you should get married? So, so far we've looked at the word of God. Let me just speak to that on the marriage issue. The Bible makes it pretty clear, and I know we have examples where it's worked out just fine. That's the grace of God. But the Bible makes it pretty clear in the New Testament that believers, followers of Jesus, are supposed to marry believers. I mean, Paul's very clear about that. So if that's true and you want to be on the fast path towards God's plan for your life, then you avoid dating non-believers. Because, interestingly enough, the people you date are very likely to become the people you marry. It's unusual to marry somebody that you haven't dated a little bit first. So if the filter is, I'm not going to date people that don't qualify biblically, then it makes it easier. Now, can God work in the other? Yeah, thank God. I have ignored every one of these things in my life, and God has used it, even those things for my good. But the truth is, I've brought certain pain and distraction and the long way around every time I went against what God wanted for me. So, the word of God, number two, does it make me more like Christ? Number three, this one will sound funny perhaps to you, so let me say it and then we'll unpack it. Number three, does my church family confirm it? Does my church family, you can write the word spiritual family, confirm it? This is the principle of wise spiritual counsel. 
but not just wise spiritual counsel. It's wise spiritual counsel of people who have a relationship with you and they're close enough to know you and watch you and they have your heart and your best interest at mind. Unfortunately, many of us don't have a group of people in our life who have the boldness to speak the heart and the mind of Christ. They know us. They know the situation. Maybe we've invited them in. Maybe we haven't. Most of us don't have a group of people around us who are listening and watching with open eyes to help you think through the deep issues of your life. A lot of us have friends. I'm not talking about friends. I'm talking about wise, spiritually-minded people who have the things of God in mind as they help you think through your opportunities. These are godly friends, not just friends. These are wise, godly friends. I've had to, in my life, find people who were older than me, regularly, who've been through stuff, who have had the pain of disobedience and saw the joy of obedience in their own situations. I've had to go to them often and say, look, I'm just an idiot on this subject. It's a big deal. I know it's a big deal, but I don't want to make, what do you think about this? Look at what the book of Proverbs says. Proverbs eleven fourteen: 14. For lack of guidance, people fail, but victory is won through many advisors. Here's the truth, you and I. We were not meant to live life alone. You were made to be part of a spiritual family. You get Jesus and you get the family of God when you come to Christ. And sometimes family's painful and sometimes it's beautiful. But you were not meant to figure it all out on your own. God has put you in a spiritual family. You have brothers and sisters in Christ and on occasion, it's appropriate to sit them down and say, I'm thinking through a thing. Help me. Pray. Help me pray about it. One of the biggest decisions I made in my life was to start this church. And I went to about a dozen people who had been in relationship with me. It was clear they were for me. They weren't going to speak into my life. They weren't going to try to just, you know, help me manage some opportunity. They were trying as much as I was trying to, to discern if this was the Lord's will for my life. And we sat down over several conversations, phone calls and emails, and I said, I, I so want to, but I don't want to do it in my own, and I, I clearly don't want to fail. I don't want to embarrass God. I don't want to embarrass myself, and I'm just struggling a little bit with the clarity of whether or not it's here and now. And those spiritual friends rallied around me and spoke some very hard truths and some very encouraging truths into my life and truly opened the door for me more than any other dynamic was the wise, spiritual, and godly, thoughtful advice of trusted advisors that knew me. Regularly in this church, if we had a barrier, I'll call some wise, spiritual advisor who doesn't know us. We call them consultants, coaches. They have great advice about small matters, sometimes about big matters. I'm not talking about hired consultants. I'm talking about people who know you well. And they're not, a, they're, they're not wowed by how you can spin a story because they've heard you spin it before. They've heard you try to justify your behavior in the past, and they kind of call out that crud in you and say, I call crud on that. Here's what I think is going on. These people, according to the Bible, the Word of God, these are precious people in your life. They're part of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, where you get Jesus and a family as well. So if you're trying to make out a decision, does it line up with the Word of God? Does it make me more like Christ? And does my spiritual family, do they confirm this Word? The other day, I was sitting down with somebody I have a good relationship with, and uh, we're talking about stuff going on in this person's life, and this person said, man, I've got some great people in my life. And I said, oh, let's just pause there for a minute. What do you mean they're great? He said, well, you know, anything I tell them, they're always open to hear. And I said, man, that's a wonderful attribute. What else makes them great? Well, I never feel judged when, I, when I'm around them, and that's a wonderful trait. What else makes them great? 
Well, no matter what I'm going through, no matter I can go there and I know they're there for me. That's a wonderful trait. And he said, you're getting at something. I'm like, yeah, you know me, right? Let me, let me just ask you, when's the last time these great people in your life called out greatness in you? And they called you to the role that God wants you to play in this world. So they're there when you need a friend. That's awesome. That's part of it. And they're there when you're feeling like some of your decisions weren't right and they're not condemning, so you can just go and be relaxed around them because they never have a judging word. That, there's a room for that. But when do these amazing, great people that you're so high on ever say to you, I want you to think about this in your life. I'm not sure, as I understand the scripture and what you've told me, that that behavior is going to put you where you really want to be. When do they ever challenge you spiritually? I want to share that with you because my hunch is, is most of us has some friends that emotionally relate to us. But I'm going to tell you one of the biggest gifts of God in your life is a group of people around you who have a track record of being for you. It's clear they're for you. When these people speak into your life from a history of being for you and a history of following God themselves, we're foolish not to listen to them. That's one of the ways God reveals himself to us. And if you don't have it, I just want to tell you this year, one of your goals should be, I need to get around a group of people who can become for me wise, godly friends. And that's why we do small groups around here. Not every small group becomes lifelong friends who know you, but many of them, many of them do. So in a small group where you have an opportunity to open God's word together and read the Bible together and build relationships and share stories and pray together, what can happen on a handful of occasions with incredible regularity, actually, if you're really honest about it, is you'll develop some friendships. And now when you go to them and you say, I'm just frustrated by this and here's what I did, they don't congratulate your sarcasm. They don't congratulate how you stuck it to the person that stuck it to you. What they do instead is they call out of you, hey, I'm sorry they did that. That hurt. That must be frustrating. I'm going to pray the Lord helps heal that for you. But let me just call you. You're called to a, to a higher way than that. God has a different plan for you. And don't get sucked into their garbage. You and I, we were meant to live life not alone. We were made to be part of a spiritual family. And that family is beautiful and complicated and hard, but one of the primary places it shows up is, is that family can show you over time that they are for you. Number four, when you're trying to discern if something is something you should do, whether you should go into that, have that conversation, push through that thing, ask that girl out, whatever it is. Number four, does it concern my responsibility? Does it concern my responsibility? There are things that you're going to be made aware of, and you're going to have feelings and thoughts about them, and that's fine. You're welcome to have them. You should have them. You should think deeply about the world around you. You should think deeply about this church. You should think deeply about your family. Truth is, you should think deeply about me. That's all good. But one of the filters, as we kind of go from the larger ones to the smaller one, is what is my responsibility to that information I now have in front of me? Does knowing the thing create a call on me? Does knowing the thing create an obligation for me? Or doesn't it? Well, how would I honor the Lord with this information, with this opportunity, with this thing that I became aware of? I'm reminded of a story in the New Testament. Jesus is talking to Peter, and I, I love Peter because he, he's so verbally processing everything. And you get when he talks, you get real insight into his heart, and it's not always right. And I love it because he's so... Silly sometimes on the front end, but man, when he fully gives his life over to Jesus, God uses him in the most powerful way. So he's an amazing picture of a disciple who kind of grows up. I aspire to be like Peter you know, when he's growing up. So one day before he's all the way grown up, Jesus is talking to Peter and they have a really rough conversation because Jesus is letting Peter know that the road in front of Peter is going to be rough. Like, people are going to treat you badly, Peter. It's going to be rough. And Peter didn't like hearing that news. So you know what his response was? <laughs> it's exactly like what happens to my kids when I'm getting on to one of them. Peter does exactly what my kids do. What about him? All right, Dad, what about him? 
So Peter, Jesus is telling Peter, you're going to get some stuff that you're not going to like, and don't worry, I'm with it, and I'm going to see you through it. And Peter's response is, well, what about that disciple right over there? What are you going to do with him? I mean, look at his own words right here. Here's what Jesus says in response to that. John 21, 22, right at the back end of that story, Jesus says to Peter, if I want him, the one you're pointing at, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. He's telling Peter that God has a plan for his life, and it's different than the plan he has for this other disciple's life. God has a plan for Peter, and he has a different plan for John. That's who he was talking about here. It's the what's it to you principle. One of the ways to think through whether or not you have a responsibility is to ask yourself, did God give me a responsibility to step into that thing, to do the thing, to speak up for the thing? And there are times it's a clear yes, and there are times it's a clear no. And so when you feel strongly about something that you don't have a responsibility to speak to, let me give you some tools real quick. You can always pray about the matter. In fact, I'd encourage you to do that all the time. Pray about the matter and see if the Lord has a is calling you to speak up, speak out, do whatever. But before you speak up and speak out, pray on it and say, God, if I do, how should I speak up and speak out? How do I leverage the responsibility I have here to not go too far and actually make an issue more complicated? So we're looking at five ways. We've looked at the Bible. We looked at being more like Christ, the church family, is it within the sphere of my responsibility? And the number five, do I sense God's peace about it? Do I sense God's peace about it? Now, I put this number five. Let me tell you why. Because as we go down the list, there's a, there's a declining priority. Number one is the word of God. So let me just be crystal clear. I don't care if you feel God's peace about sleeping with somebody you're not married with. I don't care. You're just mistaken. If your heart's at rest with it, you're just wrong. You're broken. That's all that means. Because the word of God is crystal clear. So your heart being at peace about it is irrelevant. Somebody did you, does you wrong, and you bring back vengeance on them, but you feel good about it. I feel good about it. I, feel, I don't care. You're just wrong. The word of God is clear that vengeance belongs to the Lord. But as we work through the stuff... What I have found is that often God will bring you a peace about some very difficult choices you have to make. Stepping out in faith in things that make you very uncomfortable. Having conversations that don't come natural. Pressing through things that seem to be outside your comfort zone. It's amazing how often when you do the diligence, does it affirm and line up with the word of God? Does it reflect the character of Christ? Do people close to me who know me, do they affirm the thing as well? Do I have a certain responsibility to it? It's, a, it's amazing when you go through all this, how often, even if you feel a little anxious and nervous, there is a deep peace about it. It's amazing how you can do both at the same time. It's the way I felt honestly about asking Jill to marry me. I, I, I didn't know that the Lord had spoken to her Months earlier and said, this is the guy you're going to marry. That really happened. Jill did not come to me and say, the Lord told me we're going to get married. So when are you going to ask? Because honestly, had she done that? I don't know what our path would have looked like. I was a little shaky in those days. and took me a while to kind of catch up to it. So she shared it with a trusted advisor, her mom. They made it a matter of prayer. I never knew a thing about it. But the Lord is working on me and reminding me the kind of wife I needed in life if I was going to do what God called me to do and the partner I needed. And so I'm inching towards that thing and I'm trying to, you know, I'm going to grow up because I got some other relationships in my life that aren't really honoring God. And Jill's a strong woman and she's like, I'm not tolerating that. We're done if you can't get this under control. And oh my gosh, I went on the fast track of growing up and then I get to this place and I'm thinking, maybe I should do this. But I'm like the first one in my friend group to start thinking about marriage. So I sat down with a wise counselor. Somebody had been in my life for years and I said, I'd like to get married. He said, oh, you're too young. I said, well, let me just walk you through the story. And when I got done, he said, I'm going to tell you, I don't know that you're too young. I was 20. He said, let me tell you the challenges of getting married young. Let me tell you the challenges of getting married older. But after hearing you and the way you prossed on it, I'd like, you know, like to return to the conversation, but as far as I can tell right now, Ben, you know, I'm going to call you back in a couple of days. If you're asking me what I think, I think maybe the Lord's in this. And so I'm doing that. I talked to my dad. I talked to some close friends. And 
Then I had to talk to her dad. Oh, my gosh. Mr. Brown, I think you know, been kind of dating your daughter. And he could tell it was coming, and he didn't give me a single break. He just stared at me. He didn't help me out at all. And I'm, I really like her, and more than that, I think I love her. And I'd like your permission to ask her to marry me. And then he was quiet. He didn't pull out a gun or anything, but I thought he was going to. I mean, nothing like that happened. And then he said, her mom and I kind of thought this was coming, and we'd be all right with it. We just want to make sure that you'll be in church with her because we raised her to follow Jesus. And we want to make sure that you can take care of her, and if not, that you aren't too proud to ask for help. If you can do those things, we'll be good. So I did it. Then I asked Gil to marry me just a few days later. And we did the thing, one of the biggest decisions in my life. But you know what happened? It wasn't that all my questions were answered. It wasn't that I didn't have a little bit of nervousness. But I had this peace as I walked through the process that God began to work into my heart. Well, look what the Bible says in Philippians again. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and by asking God, that's what petitions is, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So this year, you're going to be given an opportunity to make some decisions, to go down certain roads, to open doors, to shut doors, to engage, to go deeper, to pull back, to speak up, to be quiet. And how do you know if it's God? Take these notes, put them somewhere you don't lose them, and literally grab out a piece of paper and say, how does the Word of God inform this decision? And if it does, I'm going to tell you something. Don't be a foolish Christian and disobey the word of God and expect everything's going to go well for you. It will not. Sin will always take you farther than you want it to go. It'll always keep you there longer than you want it to stay. And it will always make you pay more than you want it to pay. And secondly, all right, does it line up with the character of Christ? Is it going to produce more of that in me? What do my wise counselors say about it? Is it something I need to do fully and directly? Is it my responsibility, and do I have the peace of God about it? I think it'll help you. And I want you to do two things with what we've talked about. I want you to use it for you. But I bet you this year, somebody close to you is going to be thinking through a hard decision, and they're going to wonder what they're supposed to do and how do they know and what would the Lord say about it. Here's what you can do. You can take out these notes, and you can walk them through. The, hey, let me just walk you through some things. What does the Word of God say about it? How does, it? how does the character of Christ speak to this issue? What do wise, trusted counselors and friends who have known you for years and are for you say about it? You can help somebody with what we're talking about here. One of the most important things you can do as a follower of Jesus is to make sure that the opportunities in front of you are fully vetted to discern whether it's the Lord's voice or other voices that are calling you forward. Once you grab out your Connect card, let's take a couple steps. Today I want to give you an opportunity to be in a relationship with Jesus who promises he'll be with you that he'll walk with you, he'll lead you and guide you. And all this stuff about following God doesn't matter if you don't have a relationship with him. So next step A for us today is today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. In a minute, I'm going to pray and you can talk to God and admit that you're a sinner and you need him to save you. You can't do it yourself. You're going to trust in his death on the cross and in his resurrection to save you. We'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A and put the, offering, or put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by in just a few minutes. And then we'll communicate with you about what that means. And the next step be, today I'm choosing to be baptized. Today I'm choosing to be baptized. If you want to be baptized on our first baptism in February, um, we'd love to celebrate with you. And the way you get that ball started is you just check the box, put the card in the offering bucket, and we'll celebrate with you what the, the Lord is doing in your life. Next step C says, pray with me. Pray with me as I seek to know God's will. If you're facing something, and you want to tell us what it's about, give us two or three sentences on your prayer request card. You've got some time to write that. And if you don't want to tell us, just check the box, and we'll pray with you. And the Lord who knows what's going on, I pray, will speak with clarity to your heart how you can think through more deeply the issues in front of you. And next step, D says, I want to attend the volunteer event that Pastor Joseph was talking about. It's on Sunday, January 27th. It's going to last from 4 to 7. We'll feed you. We have some amazing fun. Somebody said something about axe throwing. Going to be awesome. So 
anyway, don't know if that's happening or not, but I know it's on the short list. And so uh, all you have to do is check the, the box. We'll send you a link. You can RSVP whether or not you need child care and, uh, and how many people are coming for dinner. Without that, you can't show up. We just need to be able to prepare. So you must RSVP. And uh, if you're serving now, if you are likely to serve because you're going to follow up, Go ahead and check the box and get the information, all right? And then when you leave here today, you can go into the lobby, and those tables are set up, as Joseph said, and you can get a little bit of information right away. We're going to do that for the next couple weeks. And the next step, E says, I'm ready to experience the full abundant life that God has for me, so please send me the link to sign up for the winter semester of freedom. Remember, freedom is this experience that happens here in this place. About 50 adults have gone through it, where we talk about our habits and hurts and hang-ups. We don't do it in a therapeutic way. You don't have to share anything. We just talk about the fact that we have them. And then we look at what God's word has to say about it. We look at the power of prayer and we look at what it is to explore freedom in a community of trusted believers. And so to whatever degree you want to be transparent or not, it doesn't matter. You don't have to share anything, but we look at what the Bible says about common things. And I just want to tell you, man, the, the testimonies from freedom blew me away. I wasn't even sure if we were going to do it a second time. But overwhelming response of how the Holy Spirit worked in people's lives and the word of God and prayer and some trusted friends around people gave them lift and set them free. All you have to do is check the box and we'll send you that information and get you signed up. All right, so why don't you take your connect card and set it aside. If you call this church home, before we pray, I want to give you an opportunity to give back to the Lord what he's, a portion of what he's blessed you with. And many of you know that we're in the middle of our Christmas offering. It's kind of winding up. So here's some good news. We're just below $70,000. Our goal was 65, so we're past that. It's pretty incredible. And uh, next Sunday, I'm going to give you some information about what it means for us to go above and beyond and how it's going to open opportunities for us. Uh, one small tidbit of that, because I referenced it last week. We, we had scheduled that we'd give about $5,000 to foresee India as a one-time gift, in addition to all the sponsorships of the kids, which totals in the tens of thousands every year. But because of your faithfulness and giving, our new goal, if we hit it, is to give them 20000 That's a big, big, big difference. So 20000 from this church, uh, because of some incredible generosity of people here, it's going to go a long way to make a difference in the lives of some girls and boys who were considered disposable. And a little bit of money given to the Christmas offering is going to literally change the trajectory of the lives of these folks in India. Now, next week, I'll tell you how it's going to impact Cuba and our local outreaches here as well. Thank you for being a generous church. Let's pray about our next steps in our offering right now. Father, thank you. Thank you for being the one who speaks into our life. God, I want to thank you that your word is true, that you will order the steps of a righteous person. The truth is, Father, I'm not always righteous. And I need your active guidance in my life. And I'm so grateful that the righteousness of Christ can be applied to my life and qualify me to be a recipient of your grace, not based on anything I've done, but simply the work of Jesus. And I pray right now for the men and women who are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I want to trust you with my life. I can't save myself, so save me. Wash away my sins. I believe the work that you've done on the cross and in your resurrection secures my relationship to my heavenly father. Father, I want to pray for the men and women in this room and those that are watching online that this year would be a year marked by us walking the path that you have for us, that you would give us holy discernment to know when you're speaking, and then you would give us courage to follow you. I pray it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.